Well, again, between Sundays, the situation has changed. A couple of weeks ago, we were raising eyebrows at the thought that we might meet but not have tea and coffee afterwards. Last week, we gathered a few of us here and put together the, as near as we could the, the service. And even between last week and this, there's been changes and other parts of the service have been recorded elsewhere at other times and, and inserted but we still aim, and we cannot guarantee it's going to be this format every week, we still aim to be putting out something as close to what a morning service at Claremont looks like. Again, like last week, the prevalence of the coronavirus crisis that we are in is such that I'm leaving aside our Lent series on Isaiah 53. And this week I'm turning to a passage in Mark chapter 5, passage that Miriam brought to us in the reading. The first impetus to look at that passage today came as I was reading in an app on my phone, Lectio 365. Lectio is L-E-C-T-I-O, 365. It's a daily reading, one for each day of the year, uh, reading and a reflection, and organized by Pete Gregg, and um, I cannot really overstate how good it is and if you're someone who has access to um, apps on whatever gadgets you're using, I very much recommend Lectio 365 as something to cons- look at each day. It's only for a few minutes, but the reflections are very moving, very powerful, and very helpful in our walk with God. This passage in Mark weaves together two stories, uh, weaves together two healings. The woman who is um, had some bleeding, and Jairus' daughter. Both of these stories feature Jesus touching someone else. And our keep two minute two meters distance from one another, in our time of elbow bumping and not handshaking and so on, we're beginning to see more and more that touch has actually been very, something that's very important to us. Folks have been dying alone in hospital, not being able to be visited and touched by members of their family, and that's been sore for them and sore for the members of the family. Just a week before last, our younger daughter was up for a few days. Um, Sally lives in London, the kind of coronavirus capital of the UK at the moment, and because she was up, I was forbidden to do any hugging over the few days she was here. We, we had a great time. There was lots of things enjoyable about it, but boy, I really missed not being able to hug her. Touch matters. And as we were saying last week, one of the big lessons of the virus is that we are not anything like as independent, not anything like as self-sufficient as we thought we were. In our weakness, and our fragility, and our need for companionship, and our longing for touch, we have a God who offers Himself to us. And that's one of the things that we see in this passage in Mark chapter 5. We see Jesus has got a personal touch. He's asked by Jairus to go with him and to see if he could heal his 12-year-old daughter who was very unwell. And as Jesus made his way through the crowd with all the bustling and jostling going on, he knew that someone had touched him and touched him quite specifically and quite deliberately. 
He stops the whole thing. Who, who was it that touched me, he says. The disciples think that's a daft thing to ask. There's so much bumping, there's so much jostling. Well, loads of folks had touched them. But Jesus was aware of that more significant touch, the deliberate touch. The woman who had been bleeding, had bleeds for 12 years, had tried to remain anonymous. The Jewish purity laws meant that on top of her pain and discomfort, she was regarded as unclean. She was cut off from the community, unable to attend worship, not welcome to be with other people. And so there was a spiritual and an emotional death on top of her physical condition. And it was due to her being cut off, it was due to that excommunication from the Jewish people that she had tried to remain anonymous, desperate to get close enough to touch Jesus' garments. And then she'd hoped, after she had done that, verse 28, that she could slip away. But Jesus called her out into the open. She had wanted to stop bleeding. Jesus wanted her to start living. Jesus is concerned for the whole person. The woman needed to know that it was Jesus, not his garments, who heals. She needed to know that Jesus was more than someone who sorts out her problems for us. She needed to know that here was someone who was concerned about her, who loved her, who was a savior for her. And then later in the story, when Jesus gets to Jairus's house, and he's told this time that the daughter, by this time that the daughter had died, once more, as he, after he had raised her from the dead, he took, took her by the hand, verse 41. He touched her. Now, we know that Jesus didn't always have to touch people in order to heal them. In fact, Jesus didn't even have to be in the, in the vicinity. In John chapter 4, for example, we have the story of the centurion's servant being healed and being healed back at home while the centurion was miles away with Jesus. But Jesus, you see, is not just doing something to please folk. And he's certainly not trying to impress people. He'd sent most of them out of the house before he raised Jairus' daughter. See verse 40. No, here is God coming to us particularly. Here is God coming to us individually. Here is a God who cares, who wants wholeness for us, who has compassion, a God who touches us where we are. And even after the, the girl is raised, Jesus doesn't say to Jairus, go and show her off, and especially show her off to the people who were laughing at me five minutes ago. No, what does he say? Verse 43, go and get her something to eat. It's time for our dinner. He was just concerned about the personal details. Jesus has a personal touch. And secondly, that personal touch means that Jesus is willing to touch the impure. Now, in Jesus' time, there were strict rules about not touching people or things that were considered unclean. And menstruating women and dead people were part of the group who were not to be touched. Maybe at some point we've looked at some of these Old Testament laws and thought, that's a bit over the top, isn't it? But maybe in this day of not shaking hands, of washing hands everywhere we go and so on, maybe we need to reevaluate some of our decisions about these rules given in Leviticus and elsewhere. Jesus had made it plain when He was 
baptized by John the Baptist, and the story's back in Mark chapter 1. Jesus had made it plain then that He was identifying with sinners. He had nothing to repent of Himself. He was standing alongside us. He is one who comes among us, becomes vulnerable, one who takes risks, one who does what the holier-than-thou brigade think is scandalous. And through that sharing, He brings light into our darkness, brings hope into despair, brings change and transformation. And it reaches right into the worst, into the most impure, into the don't-go-there places. There is no one who is beyond the reach of God. There is no one who has put themselves so far into uncleanness, so far into sin, so far into disobedience that the grace of God is not sufficient to reach in and touch them where they are. Now, it's one of the constant challenges then for Jesus' followers, one of the constant challenges for the church is how we do that, be both distinctive about following Jesus, but also engaged with the world around us. We see Jesus doing this. Jesus, there is no doubt here. There is no compromise. He is the Son. He is of God. He is the Savior. And yet, here He is being very involved with the ordinary, the unclean, and so on. And down through the years of the history of the church, so often on the one hand that we make the error of trying to keep ourselves pure by withdrawing from the world, by not engaging in the parts of the world that seem unseemly or dirty. But Jesus didn't do that. He touched the impure. He welcomed sinners. He let disgraced people give Him hospitality and minister to Him. On the other hand, there is the danger of the church getting involved in the world, but as she does so, she loses her Christian distinctiveness. In our concern to be with and to be alongside others, we forget that we have to represent Jesus and that compromise is not a Christian virtue. Now, there's no correct formula for this. There is no 50-50 balance that's always right in every situation. But it's something that the people of God have to seek to maintain, being both in but not of the world, being salt and light, being engaged, but at the same time being distinctive. It's a missionary calling, and it's a missionary calling that's not fulfilled by, by us taking sides in society, by our becoming bedfellows with some people and not the others. The church is identification with with some, sometimes with middle-class values, has meant that we've left others out. At worst times in our history, it's been identifying with, say, white people and excluding blacks and, or whatever. But it's only as in the phrase of the Apostle Paul that we learn to become all things to all people. Only in that can we be faithful. Jesus here is giving us an example to follow. Be involved be engaged. Don't hold back. Be with even the unpleasant and the, the impure, but do that in such a way that we still remain committed to our Jesus lifestyle, our Christian distinctives. So, Jesus had a personal touch. It was a personal touch that reached out to the impure, but also it was a touch that healed people except that Jesus draws attention to the fact that it's faith that heals. 
The woman in verses 25 to 34, the woman with the blades, needed to know that it was not the touching but the trusting that brought her healing. And so Jesus says, verse 34, your faith has healed you. You see, Jesus wanted a deeper relationship. He wanted it with her. He wants it with us. He's not simply to be some power that we can call on when we think we need something done. Jesus was not a magician doing tricks by some secret power for an amazed but uninvolved audience. He is God come to us, God among us, God touching earth with heaven. He's come to bring God and sinners together to heal our every brokenness and bring us into fellowship with the living God. And so, instead of some mysterious power doing something to help this woman, what was going on, rather, was that she was being embraced in the arms of God. She was receiving God's salvation. God's love was being given to her. It was her faith that would enable her to receive from the Lord. Now, it was one thing for Jesus to be helping this woman to faith, It was one thing for Jesus to not just let her slip off anonymously into the distance, thinking that some magic had been done. But I wonder what was going on in Jairus' mind at this point. He had asked Jesus to go with him to his house. His daughter was critically ill. Jesus agreed, and so they they, they set off. But then Jesus stops. Then Jesus not simply has this woman made better, but he calls her out and has a conversation with her. And all the time, poor Jairus must be thinking, yeah, but my daughter's really ill. My daughter is dangerously unwell. Jesus, this isn't a time for a wee chat. This is a, get the blue lights going, get the sirens on. We need to hurry. And it must have been a real test of of Jairus' faith that Jesus wasn't rushing the way he would have wanted to. And then his faith was tested further when, verse 35, came the word that this daughter had died. And now it seems too late. But yet Jesus is still going down the road with Jairus. Maybe it would have been better, Jairus is thinking, if Jesus hadn't blethered for so long. Why bother the teacher anymore, said his his friends. It's not worth it. And I can imagine Jairus walking down the road with Jesus and his friends saying, is is he still coming? And Jairus saying, yeah, he's still coming. And why does does he do a good eulogy at the funeral? Is that why he's coming? Um, no, I think he thinks he can make her better, says Jairus. All the time you see his faith being put to the test. And if that faith was not being put to the test, Jairus might not have realized it was there. Jesus was more than a teacher, more than a miracle worker. And just as the woman had to step out of the crowd and identify herself, so Jairus had to show trust and loyalty to Jesus as they were walking back to the house. And then he had to show more trust and more loyalty to Jesus as Jesus invites scorn by saying, oh, the girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. And as the people laugh at Jesus, Jairus is still saying, well, I'm taking him up to the bedroom anyway. And then Jesus asks for the other folks to be sent out of the house, to be put outside. And Jairus has to do that. 
And now the people are probably laughing at him as well as laughing at Jesus. Jairus' faith makes his daughter well. The kingdom of God, these are signs, these healings of the kingdom of God being on its way. It's a sign that God's kingdom is something that we can reach out and touch or be touched by. But why, if Jesus can do this, why are there not more than three instances in the New Testament of Jesus raising someone from the dead? The others are in Luke chapter 7 and in John chapter 11. Why not more? We think by this time in the story, Jesus' father, Joseph, has already died. Could Jesus not have raised him? Could Jesus not have stopped that happening? Well, just as Jesus did not come into this world to be a one-man liberation movement, leading a revolution against Rome and setting up a new national and political kingdom for Israel, neither did He come into this world to be a one-man emergency service. Yes, He was bringing God's healing power, but His aim went deeper. Illness and death being overcome were but signs of the real revolution, the real healing that God was to accomplish through Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus is ushering His people into a new promised land, this time a land that is entered not by crossing a river, but through faith. He is inviting His people to follow Him into a salvation that will be complete, but only for those who accept the first tastes, the first fruits, that receive Jesus through faith. Like the woman and like Jairus in Mark 5, we have to let Jesus do His work in us. Only if we see and receive Jesus' work in all its dimensions will we understand that behind the intense and intimate dramas of each story, there lies a larger and darker theme to which Mark is drawing our attention, a conflict that's only going to be settled through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is on His way to meet with death and evil, the things that threaten God's wonderful creation. He is on His way not just to meet them, but to defeat them, and defeat them in a way that was as unexpected as these two healings in Mark 5. And as He does so, He is living out God's love for us. He is living out the touch of God. He is living out the care for the impure. He's bringing to light the tenderness of God in caring about us and caring for us. That doesn't mean that all of our immediate needs are necessarily met. It doesn't mean that God is going to sort things out for us according to how we see things. But it means that by establishing the basis, the ground for His kingdom to come, His work to be done on earth as it is in heaven, He's giving sign of what that kingdom will bring. Mostly that kingdom brings love. Love which issues in our salvation. A love that cares and acts and transforms. A love that is now realized and tasted and experienced through faith. And so in this time of face masks, elbow bumps, foot taps, two meter distance between people, Jesus still wants to come to us, to meet us face to face and to touch our lives. 
And even when life crowds around us with all its pressures, just as people were crowding in around this woman and people crowding in around Jairus' house, even when things are piling in and getting on top of us, there is still room for us to creep or crawl to Jesus if that is all that we feel we can do. There is still opportunity now to reach out and touch Him in that odd mixture of fear and faith that characterizes so much of the people of the New Testament and so much of Christian discipleship today. And the good news is that Jesus is ready to receive. Jesus didn't scold the woman for not standing, not coming to Him openly. He didn't give Jairus a hard time as he waited and fretted. No, Jesus is ready to receive, ready to give, wanting our healing and wanting our faith to grow so that our entry into His kingdom is all the more full. He wants us to be sure of His love and sure of His welcome. And that knowing that we are loved and being sure of His welcome is something that we only discover when we trust. Trust even when things are looking bleak, even when we've tried and tried and tried again as the woman in the story had over the 12 years of her illness, she had tried everything to get better. But, verse 26, she just grew worse. Even when things get like that, even when things look like they've gone all pear-shaped, even when it looks like it did for Jairus' daughter as though it's been a missed opportunity, a, a too late. In the economy of the kingdom of God, it is not too late. It is never too late for us to show faith and trust. Let us pray.